With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella, fresh off coaching high school basketballs in the building. What's going on, buddy? How are things? Hey, Sam. Uh, it's been a great weekend here. We beat our rival school on Friday, which is is always a huge one for the job security Take the victory count. lap, baby. Yeah, yeah. It felt good. It felt really good to be able to get that victory. And then made an unbelievable pasta dish dinner here on Sunday night. So, like, I am doing this pot in a food coma, which is something <laughs> I have not done before. But uh, the, the Italian side of me is very, very happy right now. So it's a, it's a great day. Well, it's amazing because while you were doing that, Laura had kind of noted tonight that she wants to do like a pesto pasta e kind of dish. So I just got my full Italian on and made a pesto like from scratch for the first time. So uh, we're just over here having fun, baby. This is what it's all about. We're cooking. We're, we're going nuts. We're we're cooking. We're like uh, Chef Curry in the pot, boy. <laughs> so here's the deal. I need a break from the 2023 draft just for a week, right? Like I I just need a minute to decompress after everything we've seen. So I thought, and look, it's not a comment on, you know, the top end of the class. It's just getting a bit annoying for me to try and find guys at this point. Um, I, I think that this draft has been a bit disappointing in some respects other than the elite of the elite class and while guys like a sore thompson and jet howard and bryce sensabaugh and brandon miller and other guys have been really good and like emerging over the course of the last couple of weeks i also feel like i just want to take a week and you know focus more on the nba focus more on um that kind of basketball we'll probably do the mark schindler like prospect centric focus of the week like we did last week with Gigi Jackson but other than that I think this week's going to be more NBA centric on the pod and to do that while still staying within the theme of what Adam and I tend to do on Sundays in Mondays we decided to do a redraft and what class to redraft but the 2020 class and it's interesting to dive deep into that because I felt like at the time we knew that the 2020 class was not particularly good, right? We felt good that it was a weaker class. And in some respects, it has largely lived up to that or lived down, however you want to phrase it, to that billing. Uh, 
it also, in some respects, there have been guys that have emerged, guys that have stood out, guys that have become really, really interesting players and exceeded even me really liking Tyrese Halliburton and Desmond Bain. Like I, I was high on those guys. I had a top 20 grade on Desmond Bain. I think I had like Halliburton at six or seven, something like that. And they still have exceeded my expectations and I think exceeded the expectations of everyone across the league. But still, when you look around, I mean, these guys are all going into their third years and it's, it's tough, man. Like we think that Tyrese Halliburton's probably an all-star this year. Anthony Edwards certainly won't be one. LaMelo Ball has made one, but I mean, those are your two, maybe Desmond Bain cracks the all-star game this year. Typically, though, by this point, you're going to get three or four like definite all-stars. You look at the 2019 class, all of Zion Williamson, John Morant, Darius Garland. And by the way, that's not a class that has aged particularly well either outside of the top group. And I think that's a class that's actually fairly comparable to the 2023 class looking at it um, at this point in terms of how top heavy it is and then some questionable depth. The, 20, the 2019 class had three definite all-stars by this point. The 2018 class obviously is just loaded with guys like Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Jaron Jackson Jr. Weirdly, that class only has two all-stars to this point, but DeAndre Ayton has been a critical piece on a team that has made the NBA Finals and been the best team in the league. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, same thing, been a critical piece on one of the best teams in the league. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, certainly going to make an all-star team this year. Uh, you know, you just look across the board and this draft is much stronger, the 2018 draft. And then 2017, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, these guys, surefire all-stars. Jared Allen has already made an all-star game as well. 2016, Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Demonis Sabonis, DeJounte Murray, Pascal Siakam. Uh, it took some of those guys a little bit longer to emerge, but you understand the point that I'm saying here. This draft does not quite have the depth of star power, the 2020 class that is, that other drafts within its vicinity have showcased to this point. 2020 was just a weird year draft-wise, Sam, because this was kind of peak pandemic where the draft took place way later than normal. This was a, a November draft, and I feel like it, it gave me the most challenge that I've had in any draft class because I had so much time to overthink my own evaluations, to dive back into the film and double and triple check some guys. And it really ended up screwing up some of my my overall rankings when I look back at it. It was probably the worst performance that I've had as a scout in trying to pin down who would be the highest end role players and who would be kind of guys that might be really too risky to go in the top half of the first round. So I've learned a lot just as a scout from seeing how this 2020 draft class has played out learning to trust initial instincts or what exactly to look for in value. This was a really pivotal one just for me in getting into the the draft space, uh, diving in fully during that pandemic time, but certainly not the the overall depth of of top-end talents. And I think that will bear out as we go through this exercise tonight. We'll get probably to the six, seven, eight range and really fall off into just taking guys that we believe are going to be rotation players long-term. I think that's dead right. I think that that's around the range where it really starts to fall off and become, look, I I don't know that like questionable is it like 
you know, Devin Vassell is someone that I really, really like. And if he snuck into an all-star game at some point, I don't think that would like totally blow me away. Would it blow you away? No, I've, I've always loved Vassell. And I think he's gotten so much better over the last year. That's what the Spurs do is develop talent on the offensive side of the floor. But I, I think that's an, an interesting part of this equation. This is year three for these guys. So the youngest ones that we're going to talk about in this draft class are just now 21 years old. Right. I, I think that there's still an element of patience that goes into a redraft, and it's why these exercises, while really important and a lot of fun to be able to go back in and see where we immediately missed or what we hit on, there's an element of patience that goes into this. And, and with, in particular with redrafts, we talk about second drafts for guys right. where maybe during their rookie contract, they're just not with the right team. They're not being developed in a way that's going to allow them to to hit their stride, or they just simply need a lot more time than everybody else to develop into a rotational NBA player. This is an exercise based on what we've seen up to today, not necessarily the poaching somebody else's upside who, man, if they were only healthy, or man, if we only had them in a system that we could develop them in, we'd see that potential. Yeah, you know, the way I made my list, to be honest, is somewhat based on the idea of what are they now? What are they in the future? That's kind of why I like redrafting three years out or two and a half years out in this case, because there is still that intrigue, right? There is still that idea that these guys aren't finished products, right? These guys aren't what their upside is going to bring them to, especially the guys at the top that we're going to talk about. They are 21 years old. Uh, you know, Lamella Ball, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, all of these guys are still super, super young. So, I do like the idea of this time frame being when you start this process because you do have to go off of what you've seen so far, but additionally, you also have to account for the future a bit as well. And like, you know, there's an obvious case in this class. I mean, everyone knows that at some point in this class, I'm going to take Alexei Pokashevsky much higher than I should in something like this because I really believe in the upside long-term um, and I think the upside is real if he gets to the right situation, if the Thunder um, continues to develop his frame and he continues to slow down a little bit. I really like the feel. I really like the shooting. But like, you know, based off of what he's done so far in his career, we're only just now starting to see the time and the energy that has been put in and starting to reap the rewards of that in the case of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, just take him first overall, Sam. Like, just do it. There's there's no shame. There's no shame. <laughs> Not taking Poku at number one. I can <laughs> confirm that. So, okay, let's jump in. I am going to go number one because last time we did a mock draft, Spins got to go number one. I did. And that feels fair, right? And honestly, I think the number one overall pick is super fun in this thing, don't you? I, I don't want the pressure on me in this one. When we did our 22 mock and it was, or excuse me, 23 mock and it was Victor Wembenyama, I'm happy to take that one. But, <laughs> but this one where it might be splitting hairs a little bit more, like, please, Sam, the floor is all yours. So one player, as I said previously, has made an all-star game in this class, LaMelo Ball. One player has been a real tried and true standout in the playoffs, like a guy that looks like, he was able to carry the load in a playoff series and Anthony Edwards. I'm not taking either of those guys. I'm taking Tyrese Halliburton. I knew at it. Number one. I knew it. Uh, the reason for that 
is I, I think these guys are all so close and you could make a case for any of them at number one. And I think you would be reasonably within your rights to take any of them at number one. If you believe in Anthony Edwards shot creation, if you believe in LaMelo Ball's ability to dictate tempo and pace and just create an incredible offensive infrastructure. I think Tyrese Halliburton is the best of this trio at making guys better around him and making life easier for the guys around him. The leap that he's taken this year offensively is so substantial. And look, like to some extent, it's a little bit unfair to LaMelo Ball, right? Because we haven't gotten to see LaMelo except for, you know, two and a half games before he got hurt this year. And LaMelo is not in a situation that is as well coached offensively, in my opinion. He doesn't have as much uh, idealized talent around him. So I think LaMelo is the one where I think I could look back on this and be like, oh man, like this guy was like a top 10 player in the league, right? Like this, this is... This is crazy to not take him at one. He has that potential as a ball handler, as a creative playmaker off the bounce. I just think that what we've seen from Tyrese Halliburton as a playmaker, as a passer, as a shooter, I think that he's the one that can win in almost any situation. He can be your number one guy. He can be your number two guy. He doesn't need the ball to be as successful. I don't know if there is a number one guy in this class that I think can take you to the conference finals. Maybe Anthony Edwards is the guy that has the most upside to do that. But I think that because I don't really see a number one guy that takes you to the conference finals, top five player in the league at some point right now, I'm going to go with the guy that I think can be a number one as he's shown this year on a team that has exceeded expectations and been great, but also has showcase that he can transition into the off-ball role a little bit easier, his ability to make life easier on his teammates, I think showcases his ability to potentially play at the level of a number two, number three option just a little bit easier in making a superstar's life around him a bit easier. He has turned into a transcendent passer, Sam. And it's more so about how he elevates every single person around him. He's averaging 11 assists a game right now in his third NBA season. It's ludicrous what Halliburton is able to do on that side of the board. Uh, I certainly understand the pick there, but I think it opens up an opportunity here for me with my first pick at number two to oh, hold 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 on you have nothing else to say about Tyrese Halliburton I have a, I have a million things I could say about Tyrese Halliburton oh my god uh, smart defender I think that's an un, you yeah. know one area we didn't necessarily talk about here with Halliburton smart defender that's actually the thing that separated him just a little bit more from LaMelo for no. me yeah um the look Tyrese has not been awesome defensively this right. year um I think that he as he's had to take on a bigger offensive load, particularly the ability to contain dribble penetration on the ball has been a little bit worse, but I think that he is at least showcased in the moments that matter that he hasn't played them yet, but like he's showcased in end of game scenarios. He's showcased in, um, you know, different circumstances that I think he will defend in a team concept when it matters. I don't think either he or LaMelo are awesome as team defender or as on-ball defenders by any stretch, 
But I do think that Halliburton, I buy more as a team defender that you can work around and can be a positive net defender by the time he's like 25 years old and fills out a little bit more physically even. Um, and also he doesn't have to dominate the ball. Like his processing speed no. is so elite. It just comes down to the kind of offense that I want. Like I want, you could play Tyrese Halliburton next to Trey Young and he can dominate the ball and Tyrese can play off of him that way. Or you can do what the Pacers are doing this year where he's just the point guard and he's running the show and he's doing everything that is asked of him in that way. So it's that skill versatility for me while also being a top five passer in the league while also shooting 37% on high volume from three this year at seven, three point attempts per game. Uh, he gets steals. He rebounds at a reasonable level. He doesn't turn the ball over. He has a four to one assist to turnover ratio this year. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is the one for me while also acknowledging that I might be leaving a bit of upside on the table with Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball. Totally understandable, though, because the production has yep. been so strong. And, and one thing we haven't seen is how he does actually play with really good all-star caliber players. This is an Indiana Pacers system that's give him the ball, surround him with shooters, and let him go. And I think that there's room for him to pop even a little bit more because of that processing speed and off-ball impact if he were to play next to another guy who's a developed all-star at that point. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, 
I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. You are up at number two. So you have done. By, a, by the way, I, yeah. real quick, I'm sorry. Before no? we go further, I want to know: we're going out to 20 in this draft. 20. Um, we're not doing a full first round, but we're doing a little bit more than the lottery. There are like 22 ish guys that like I really truly want, which dovetails nicely with my colleague John Hollinger's idea of there being somewhere between 20 and 25 guys in every draft class that are reasonable, valuable players. We're going to go out to like 20 in this draft just because Adam and I can talk and we don't want this to go for four hours. Well, and it works out perfectly because Poku is 23rd on my board. So, yeah. <laughs> no. uh, second pick for me, Sam, you've done a little bit of foreshadowing about the Anthony Edwards versus LaMelo ball dichotomy that both of these guys tended to be the top two names mentioned when teams were drafting back in 2020 as picks to potentially go number one. We know Anthony Edwards uh, ended up going there. LaMelo made the first all-star appearance, but we also got to see Anthony Edwards in the playoffs. And what we saw from him was a little bit different of a version than what we've seen in the regular season. Much more engaged in terms of on-ball defense, much more, uh, you know, impact that comes from his takeover offense and showing that he's able to do that on a big stage and consistently against really good defenders. I am going Anthony Edwards number two because I still buy in his upside to be a better two-way player than LaMelo Ball. Uh, This year, Anthony's averaging 23, 5, and 4, shooting the ball with a little bit of efficiency. Minnesota is still trying to figure out their system with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. And it has really hindered Anthony's ability to get to the rim cleanly. I think that he benefited a ton from Cats minutes at the five, having a stretch five out there in, in the lane being wide open. But he's still been wildly productive, even though the lane is getting a little bit more clogged in Minnesota. At the end of the day here, I'm buying into two things. One, it's the continued development that can come for guys like him who are prolific three-level scoring potential wings uh, as they continue to mature and get into the league. We've seen leaps from guys you know, like Jason Tatum over the last couple of years where if you just steadily get better at your role, get used to the, the volume that you have to create in, you can turn into a monster caliber offensive player. And I think that we've also seen in postseason play, Edwards has the chops to be a good individual defender. So I had him number one overall on my board back in 2020. I haven't necessarily seen anything from LaMelo yet that would surpass him just because of the the two-way ability that Edwards has. Yeah, I don't mind that. I think that it's close between the two of them. I think you're right about the point that Minnesota, as I talked about on the podcast this weekend with Fred Katz, that Minnesota has struggled a little bit with integrating Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns. Yep. I'm interested to see what it looks like now with just Rudy, because in theory, Edwards is the guy that should get the most out of this, right? 
the numbers with just Rudy lineups for Minnesota are bad, as we talked about previously with Fred this weekend. But in theory, Edwards is a guy that should thrive with the court a little bit more open yes. with Carl Towns, not occasionally trying to take post-ups or even just like high post opportunities, uh, not having the rim clogged. But look, at the end of the day, Anthony Edwards is a guy that throughout his career has tended to settle a little bit too often, right? He does like to try and get to his jump shot a little bit more than drive all the way to the rim and use that immense, impressive, powerful explosiveness that he really has. I don't know what I would do. And I'm glad that you made the decision for me. Uh, Tyrese was actually like kind of an easier choice for me than LaMelo versus Ant. Was Tyrese at number one on your board? He was. He was indeed. Yeah. So we have now number two versus number three. I'm obviously going to take LaMelo ball here. LaMelo is the only guy that's made an all-star in this class. And maybe we can kind of bring to the idea who LaMelo is versus who Ant is. I think LaMelo at this point has proven that outside of Halliburton, he is the best driver of offense in this class, just pure offense with the way that he can get out and transition with his well-rounded passing ability. I do think that if we get LaMelo in the right situation at some point in a circumstance that like really works, he could be someone that averages 10 assists a game, like very easily. He has that passing ability. He has that vision. He has that creativity off the bounce, the live dribble passing game. Um, the strength in his hands to be able to throw passes from all sorts of different angles, the creativity of just the way that he gets into the paint, despite not being an immensely explosive person. He's also big. He's like six foot seven and being able to pass at that level is such a substantial advantage. I think I would take him over ant at this point. And it, it's hard because The thing that worries me most about Ant is what has kind of borne out throughout the course of this season where he just kind of came in overweight and came and has not been the attacking aggressive guy that was super positive entering last season, right? I don't know. I, I feel strange about what I've seen from Anthony Edwards this year. I feel like it's there. There are one of two ways that it could have gone. He could have, taken last year's playoff series where he pushed the Memphis Grizzlies, where he was the best player in that series for Minnesota, not Carl Towns and built upon it and grown and averaged 28 points a game, even with Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns in the mix and just exploded in that way, especially with how much Carl Towns has been willing to defer throughout the course of the season. Carl Towns right now, his field goal attempt rates are down to like, rookie season level numbers. And when you account for pace, I would imagine that Carl Towns is like field goal attempts per however many minutes he plays or whatever, for however many possessions he plays, they're probably on a per possession basis lower than they've ever been throughout his career. They actually are. Yeah. So the only thing that matches up is his second season uh, or no, I'm sorry, third season where he was right around the same mark, but was He's 0.1 lower this year per 100 possessions. So there's been every opportunity for Anthony Edwards to really explode this year. And it just hasn't happened, I think, in part because he doesn't look look as explosive as what he did last year. 
I think because he came in a bit heavy, which is something that Carl Towns has alluded to uh, in multiple press conferences for the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. So I don't know, man. I feel a little bit wary of Anthony Edwards based off of what we've seen, despite the fact that like on a pure talent basis, on a pure upside basis of what he could be, if it all comes together, he is the number one pick, like point blank. His shot creation, his ability to get jumpers, his ability to make pull-up jumpers, the powerful athleticism he has, the frame that is kind of built to last over the course of a full season without injury, without any concern there. I mean, man, that's that's the upside there, right? Well, and that's the comparison with LaMelo. I mean, you know, we can talk about Ant being maybe slightly overweight, not being as explosive, having some plays and possessions where he's frustratingly settling for jumpers more than my wife settled when she married me. But LaMelo, he's not even on the floor a a lot of times. He has proven to be a little bit banged up, and and I would much rather go with the guy who, despite some of that, is still being able to play through and, and be consistently on the floor. Yeah. And look, Anthony Edwards has shown that he can play a little bit more off the ball than LaMelo has. Like with LaMelo, he's going to have to be the guy that can drive a team to a top seed, right? Or drive a team to the conference finals. I think he's, I think he has a chance to do that. No doubt. But I'm not sure that he can, which is why I went Tyrese over him at the top. Okay. And I went Ant too, for that reason as well. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a hard one. Okay, let's go to number four, which I think you're between two players uh, here, maybe three. I am between two. Um, how did you know? Two of them who are both producing at a really high level this year, making the jump. Uh, I'm going to tread on the side of drafting someone who's two years younger. So I'm going to go with Tyrese Maxey as the guy that I'm taking here. Number four. Overall in this redraft, 23 points, three and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. He's over 40% for his career from three, 42 and a half this year. Uh, I think his numbers, particularly in terms of creation for others, would have increased if he were playing in a system other than the one in Philadelphia, where he's kind of the third option to create with the ball in his hands behind Joel Embiid and James Harden. Uh, I, I love Maxie's intangibles that he brings to the table. I think he's a guy who's going to continue to improve year after year. Not a great defender, but has enough quickness, athleticism, and care on that end of the floor to be competent. Uh, but if he's going to be shooting the ball as consistently as he has before, you know, he just turned 22 about a month ago, before he's at the age of 22, he, this kid's going to be a stud for a long, long period of time, on-ball and off-ball creation. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Maxi. This is not the direction I would have gone personally, but I understand doing it. I think that, you know, Maxi's upside is very real just in terms of the speed, the ability to put pressure on the rim, the ability to get pressure in the paint, the floater game. His three-level scoring ability, I think, is better than anyone else on the board and probably the number two guy. In, in terms of pure three-level scoring ability, dangerous from the rim, from the mid-range, from behind the three-point line, he's number two in this class to Edwards, right? That's where, that's where I'd have him. I don't know if you can tell something about the, the types of players that we each like here. You're going with the more cerebral, like, involve everybody. Yeah, right. and I'm just going for the, the guys who can put their shoulder down and get into the paint whenever they want. See, but that that's actually what worries me about Tyrese moving forward. 
he can't really put his shoulder down. Like he's strong for a guy that's like yeah. six foot two, yeah. but he doesn't really like have that. I'm just going to put my shoulder into you, bump you, and then, you know, just finish through you. Right. It's a lot more based on speed, based on yes. craft and with his trainers down in Texas and with his skill development in Philadelphia, he has developed that ability over the course of his career to where I do buy it. Like I buy him being, Maybe a low end all star, maybe a high end, you know, top 40 player in the league for sure. He's going to average 25 points a game at some point, I think, for sure, especially with the way that pace of play has increased at some point. And I think that they're hoping that he can take over from James Harden at some point moving forward. Um, yeah. I worry about the defense. Like, I, I, you have to play him on the ball defensively. Uh, otherwise, you're not getting the most out of him. And I worry about, Teams just kind of switching guys onto him. Maybe he gets stronger as he yeah. ages and becomes a little bit less of a liability in potential switch scenarios. But I don't know, man. I, I, I like it. I love. I love Tyrese. Like yeah. I don't want to um, shit on him at all. Like he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he is. And, and again, I, I weighed him and probably the guy that I would anticipate you'll take next here. And, and the real deciding factor for me was in two years from now, will Maxi be as good as that player is right now? Because he's two years older than Maxi. Uh, I felt really comfortable with again the intangibles, the development that he's been on, being able to identify areas that he can get better, whether it's taking physicality, adding more to his frame, uh, to say that, yes, he's going to be able to get to that point. That's why I took him for. So, like, you mentioned the idea of high IQ players as the guys that I really like. I really like scalable players to winning situations. Like, that's it for me. Like, I want guys who can succeed without the ball in their hands. I want guys who can succeed when they aren't necessarily forced to create for themselves but can still average 23 to 26 points a game. Right. The guy that stands out there is Desmond Bain. He's doing it already, right? He might be an all-star this year. Yeah. I had Desmond at four on my yeah. board personally. Uh, yeah, De- Desmond is a stud. He is maybe the best floor spacer in the NBA other than Stephen Curry. Can, can you make that case? Uh, you probably could uh, just because of how consistent he is and, and how he hits shots in so many different types of ways. He's terrific. I, I, I debated this with him four and five with Maxi, uh, so I, I certainly understand why Bain would be be valued as a, a top four guy in this this draft class. Yeah. So last year he averaged eighteen points a game, and when he got a chance to emerge into that more central role late in the season, he was up around twenty points per game. This year he's at twenty five points per game. He keeps getting better. Last year he shot forty eight percent, or no, I'm sorry, forty four percent from three. Uh, over seven attempts per game. This year, he's at 45% from three on eight and a half attempts per game. Like, this is this is genuinely Clay Thompson-level three-point shooting at volume. Like, if you look at the first few seasons of Clay's career, where he was up around, like, six to eight three-point attempts per game, his highest season is 43.9. The other seasons are, you know, 42.5, and that's the only other season where he's up above 42 Desmond Bain, in his second and third season, he's at 43-6 on seven three-point attempts per game and 45-1 on eight-and-a-half three-point attempts per game. Like, genuinely, 
he he is like a Clay Thompson level floor spacer yeah. who plays well without the ball and defends. That's the other part of this. He's super strong. He's physical. He's switchable. He's good on the ball. Like you can just make so many high level, high leverage winning situations with Desmond Bain at the center of everything that you do as your number two, number three option. Yeah, but again, does he have the wingspan to be able to hold up, right? Like, come on. At the end of the day, he's a, he's a hooper, right? He's, he's a talented offensive player. He competes. He's strong. He makes every right decision. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's at least one of the three or four best floor spacers in the NBA right now. No doubt about yeah. it. No, I think that's dead on. Okay. You are up next. Um, I think that this one is actually like the easiest one maybe in the class that we've done so far. Interesting. Interesting. So we'll see if I'm able to to hit this one on your board right there. Uh, I'm going Devin Vassell. For yeah, that, that to me is like the very obvious choice here. Yeah, because after this, I think it falls off of a cliff a little bit more. Uh, Vassell has taken the leap this year to the point where what he's producing right now is so much more of a known quantity than anybody else that we've yet to talk about in this draft class. Over 20 points a game, shooting over 40% from three, doing it in high volume on mid-range pull-ups, which is something that I think gets a little bit lost in the analytics talk these days of how important it is to have at least one or two guys on your team that can go out there and make a tough mid-range jumper because defenses are going to try to force you to take those, particularly in the playoffs and in late clock situations. I think Vassell's handle has gotten a little bit better. There's still room to be able to go on that end of the floor. I've always bought the defensive tool, Sam. I was so high on Vassell pre-draft, and I think that while the offensive side of the floor has taken the lion's share of his developmental energy through the first two-plus years in the league – He has all of the potential to be a good switchable wing backcourt defender in a postseason series that just with his length and activity can create havoc a little bit. So I'm a huge fan of Vassell. I think San Antonio was the perfect landing spot for him. Been glad to see his growth and ascent into being one of their top two options this year. And to me, he's a a no-brainer here at six as well. Okay. I agree with you. I mean, he's averaging 21 points a game. He's doing it efficiently uh, at a 58 true shooting percentage. He's still a pretty good defender, although I don't think the defense is translated quite as well. Yeah, as it hasn't. I wanted it to. Yeah, well, why do we think that is? I, I don't have a clue. Um, again, the, the best hypothesis I can come up with is more energy being put into the offensive side of the floor to become more of a – I don't want to call him a three-level scorer because he doesn't get to the rim very often, but a a reliable two-level scorer from three and from mid-range. I think that maybe the emphasis on that side of the floor, as well as a thinner frame that doesn't hold up as well against top stars in isolation who can kind of put their shoulder into him, might be reasons why he hasn't had that large of an impact. Yeah. Okay. Next up for me is a guy that has made a big impact defensively. I'm going Jaden McDaniels next. I believe I am at number seven. And this would be the big riser of this class for us to this point, right? Like the other guys that we've taken, like Tyrese, I guess, went 11 or whatever he went. Um, You know, obviously Ant and LaMelo went in the top three. And then, you know, Vassell was a lottery pick. Maxi, I guess, was... 23rd. I keep forgetting that Maxi went 23rd because I have a lottery guy in the class. And like, 
I don't, I don't know how that failed. Um, how teams like no. missed that, that he would shoot in the NBA. Um, but I, I'm going Jaden McDaniels here at number seven. And it's because of the leap he is made on both ends of the court. I think this is just a guy that you can win with at the end of the day. He's shooting 54% from the field, 37% from three, 76% from the line, averaging 11 points. He doesn't rebound as well as you would want for a guy that's like six foot nine, six foot 10, but he is so good defensively and so switchable and so good in help defense as well as so good on the ball. He can guard the other team's best player while also hopefully spacing the floor, hopefully continuing to add to his game as a driver and scorer, uh, which is stuff that he really showed a lot in high school as a one-on-one isolation creator, but hasn't quite been as effective of in the NBA. Um, Yeah. I I just think that Jaden is the kind of two-way player that, has a chance to be, I, I think he's w- like the last guy left really that has a chance to be like a genuine top 50 player in the NBA. If things really like across the board broke, right. I think that's probably right. Uh, I also think that his positional archetype is one of the hardest to try to nail down from a, a scouting standpoint, because there are so many guys who come into the league or, are draft age and, and draft eligible who are long wiry wings with decent skill sets, but you have, they're so raw and you don't necessarily know how they're going to translate. Kudos to McDaniels for really buying into the defensive end of the floor and making that what he hangs his hat on. I wasn't sold that that was going to be the type of player he'd turn himself into in the NBA. And he has gotten a hell of a lot better over the last two and a half years to the point where it's, it's certainly deserved that you would have him up here. I had him number seven on my board as well. So this is all kind of held serve on my my draft board coming into this year today. No surprises thus far, but uh, yeah, McDaniels is, is just a hell of a developmental story over the last couple of years. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought up the idea of it's just really hard to find guys that are this tall. I think that that's what the people who are taught into reframe into the 2023 draft That's, I think, what people are kind of not talking about enough with Brandon Miller. Like, I've seen people at Brandon Miller, like, in the late first round. That is crazy. He is a six foot nine shooter who actually is switchable defensively and is like six foot nine. He's enormous. Like, even if he can't dribble at all, which I think he can, and I think that he has flexibility to be able to add quite a bit off the bounce, but maybe he doesn't ever add it. He's still going to be a six foot nine playmaker who can switch defensively and shoot from three. Like those guys are super hard to find. Those guys with that kind of length that can take up that much of the court in help defense that can take on a variety of different assignments defensively. Those guys are really hard to find. Those guys, like, look across the NBA. Look how many of them there are. Like, the Pelicans are lucky that they drafted two of them and Herb Jones and Trey Murphy and evaluated those guys super, super well. But like Mikhail Bridges is six foot six, six foot seven, super long. So he plays up. OG Ananobi is another one, not to compare, you know, uh, Brandon Miller to OG's defense by any stretch of the imagination, but like Robert Covington, this is why Robert Covington was so valuable for so long. He's so big and can make threes and like, it's just really, really hard to find guys that are that big. They can take on that many assignments. 
the size is a real differentiator for Brandon Miller, I think, in the same way that the size is a super differentiator for Jaden McDaniels and why he rises as high as he does in this redraft. I just think Miller's offense is infinitely more polished than what we saw from McDaniels is one year Washington. Just so much farther along. And it's it's you know, it's just such a boomer bust type of position, Sam, because with that size, when you draft somebody who has great movement patterns and some fluidity on the offensive end to add, yeah. you know, complementary skills, yeah, you can absolutely hit and become a top seven guy in a redraft in the way that McDaniels has. Or you can be out of the league in two, two and a half years because it's just so hard to find guys that buy into that type of role. Um, it, well, it's, had- it's why in this class, for instance, I really liked Robert Woodard, right? Like Robert sure. Woodard was not as big as Brandon Miller. He's like six foot six, but was good defensively at Mississippi State and had all sorts of length. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, right? But, you know, Chandler Hutchison, six foot seven, he just couldn't shoot at all and like didn't really have the game necessary, right? Um, shout out Chandler Hutchison, who just retired from playing basketball, it seems. Uh, but like there are a number of these guys that are this big. And by the way, Brandon Miller's bigger than the guys we're talking about here. Yeah. That, that's why this is, to me, Brandon Miller has to be a lottery pick at the very least. If you want to have the lower end of the lottery, I totally get that. But you, I'm telling you, you can't find. 13 guys that are better than Brandon Miller in this class. No, no, you cannot. So, okay. Adam, you're up. Number, Number eight, eight, the Ocho. Uh, this is a, a cliff drop spot for me right here, where this is essentially yeah. me going after guys that I believe are quote unquote, my type of player. Somebody who I think aesthetically fits being a complimentary piece in a winning situation in the way that I think basketball is going to be played. And for me, despite a cold start to year number three, I'm going to go with Sadiq Bey, who uh, played his college ball at Villanova. I think I've seen enough from him rookie year and sophomore year to know that he can be a really solid three and D type of player. Uh, Six foot seven kind of fits into guarding either of those wing positions. You can play him at the three or the four. But offense for him, um, you know, he, he's he's polished and smart with the ball in his hands coming out of Villanova. Always knew that he had that. And I, I do believe that right now, whatever rut he's in as a jump shooter, only 27% from three right now, is offset by just ridiculous touch that he's shown consistently throughout his career. He's also 90% from the free throw line this year, Sam. So it's not yeah. like he's a poor shooter. I think he's just in a slump right now. But... Uh, at this point, like I'd rather have a solid wing that I know is going to be part of a rotation than taking a gamble on anybody else. Wings and, and having a collection of them is important to me in roster building. So I think Sadiq fits in that model here in the redraft. Plus, you'd fire me if I took Poku. Yeah, I'm not taking Poku next even as well. But like Sadiq is six foot seven. He kind of fits this billing of bigger wing that we talked about he's just not as athletic as these other guys right like brandon miller Jaden mcdaniels and that's right. where it kind of falls apart a little bit for him sometimes uh yeah he's a hard one for me to wrap my head around i feel like because you want him to be a better shooter like he was a better shooter at villanova he was. than 
what he has showcased in the NBA. He's a 42% three-point shooter there, over 300 attempts from three. Um, I will say one thing I've always noticed with Sadiq is that a lot of them at Villanova came right on the three-point line, and I wonder if that extension out to the NBA line is taking him a little bit more time to adjust to because more than anything with him, he goes through streaks is the thing. Yes, like He started very poorly as a shooter last year too, and then got it up to 34, 35 by the end of the year. Uh, I, I believe that in his rookie year, he was at what, like 38 on volume, 30. something yep. like that. Yep. So I think that this is probably the right choice at number eight. It's tough. Um, but I think I'd probably go with the wing over some of these other bigs that I have in this next group. Yep. That's, okay. that's where that's where I'm at too, Sam. And and the last thing I'll say here on Sadiq Bay in, in that regard, uh, Celtics killer. He has always had a good game <laughs> against my Boston Celtics. So when I watch him a little bit more, I always see the good version of Sadiq, I guess. Uh, but I, I, again, I just smart, high IQ, three and D type of guys are, are guys that I'm willing to, to have above this litany of bigs, which I'm sure you're going to take one of right now. I am. And it comes down to like, look, there's a big group here. It's precious. It's Anyeka Kongwu. It's Isaiah Stewart. Honestly, I do have Poku somewhere in this mix. Um, I've Pat Williams, like kind of hovering around here. Like there's a lot of guys, right? But at number nine, I'm going to go on Yekka Kongwu still. And he's probably the least accomplished of these players so far, right? Like like Isaiah Stewart has started, you know, I'm just going to look here on his basketball reference page. He started 102 games for the Detroit Pistons. Has he really? Wow. Yeah. He's been a starter now for two years, essentially, for Detroit. But I keep going back to the idea of, if you swap those two situations, would Onyeka be just as effective? Would he be more effective than Isaiah Stewart? Would he be less effective in some way? I think Isaiah's maybe a little bit better as a switch defender than what Onyeka is at this point. But maybe you could say he adds some toughness. But like Isaiah Stewart, I think, is a worse rim protector. I don't think he's nearly as efficient as a finisher, as a scorer around the rim. I know that Isaiah has worked really, really hard to add the three-point shot. He's making 36% of his four three-pointers a game this year. I just don't think people care if he shoots threes at the end of the day. Like I I just don't think that they're worried about that at this point. Maybe they will in three years, and this will look dumb to take Onyeka over him. But I think Onyeka's overall impact defensively is greater in the minutes that he's on the court. I think he's an even better rebounder than Isaiah is, and I think Isaiah is a pretty damn good rebounder too. But rebounding, rim protection, finishing, some switchability for sure with Onyeka, and I think his upside as a switchable defender is a little bit greater than Isaiah is, to be honest. Yeah, um, It's just that he's been stuck behind Clint Capella, and Clint Capella is you know, the 15th best center in the league, and Onyeka is 22 years old. And in the moments where Onyeka is out there, I think he really flashes at an exceptionally high level. Um, I- I'm still, I'm still going to ride with Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, and think that he's going to be a super impact player on a really good team at some point. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, I certainly land in the same camp. I'm a huge fan of Okongwu. Uh, it's just 
it's the the troubles that come with being a younger player in the league is if you're just in a situation where there's a really good veteran in front of you, particularly as a bigger guy who doesn't have a lot of positional versatility, it's going to be hard to flash your skills consistently or at least continue to grow into a role that maybe you are ready for. So I think yep. a Kongwu, just in terms of the impact that we've seen in the minutes that he's played, is deserving of being in this conversation. And I think a solid pick by you right there. Yeah, it's look, and this is where we really start to get into like we're, you know, parsing a little bit here, right? Like, I don't think any of these guys are going to be like the the difference between the two of them is going to be the difference between you winning a title and not winning a title no. at the end in this group, at least, right? Um, but just to compare, for instance, right, per 100 possessions, Onyeka Kongwu this season, 17.8 points. Um, you know, Isaiah Stewart, 21 and a half points. That's absolutely a function of usage. Uh, rebounding, Onyeka is at 14 rebounds in that time. Isaiah Stewart's at 16 rebounds in that time. You know, Onyeka tends to play with bigger wings, tends to play with the guy in DeJounte Murray at times in those bench units that he really grabs a ton of rebounds for a guard. Um, e- even on a per possession basis, look, I get it. Isaiah is a little bit better and he's proven a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm still just going to ride with Onyeka and, I I truly strongly believe in him as a player. I do too, Sam. I do too. Okay, let's go. You're up at number 10. I'm up at 10 and this is going to be kind of a philosophy pick for me. Um, you know, I like wings. I like bigger wings. That's just something that I'm, I'm attracted to. I like guys who can shoot the ball and I still believe that youth matters in this early of a redraft type of setting, that yeah. the guy who I'm going to pick is 21, not even 21 and a half, like just turned 21 over the summer, and has had a frustrating kind of role on the, the NBA team that he's been on, and that's Patrick Williams. Uh, there was a reason that, that Williams yeah. ended up going fourth overall in the NBA draft just over two and a half years, excuse me, just over two years ago. Um, and it's because he's damn good. He is athletic. He's got so many different tools that he can flash. And the jump shot, which is one reason why I was lower on him pre-draft, has been one of the, the most consistent parts of his game since arriving in Chicago. 42.5% from three this year, over 41% from his career. He missed a lot of time during year number two. And I think with all of the different pieces that Chicago has of guys that need the ball in their hands, need to drive, operate more in the mid-range, mid-post area, it stunts his development in ways that can really open up the rest of his game. Because he is just not good enough to overtake DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. He's, he's not, you know, not better than Zach Levine in terms of on-ball reps. Like He's a very clear fourth option on a team that blockades his ability to play his best game. I think that there's a good defender in there. Uh, I think that there's a lot of untapped upside. And just looking at positional versatility and guys that I value for you know having the ability to play multiple of them at a time, I think Williams has more versatility than some of the other bigs, like a Stewart, like another guy or two that would still be on the board. Yeah, so I, I get this pick. I would have gone a different way, but I think that it's worth having a conversation about Pat, Pat Williams because we haven't really had one in a while. Um, when I watch him, there are times where I think that, like you said, the situation is just very not conducive to him. There are also times where I watch him where like, I worry about like his processing speed 
Like, uh, so, like he was a very reactive player at Florida State, and I haven't really seen that same level of reactivity uh, in Chicago at this point. I ha- he looks like a bit slow defensively. He's always yeah. had that just enormous chest, enormous shoulders. It's like he's definitely still growing into his frame, like 100%. But when I watch him, he just looks a step slow and like not as switchable as what we thought he could be long term. I don't know. I I don't know what to do with him. I I just straight up do not know what Pat Williams is going to be. But I I haven't been overly impressed, I guess, when I, and part of it is like, you know, if we were going to do a tank, watch this episode, the Bulls were going to be like the team that we talk about in terms of stock up. Um, this team is a mess right now. Like they're just not playing well. And you hear all these trade rumors and they're going to have to make a decision on the direction that they're going here coming soon because they have a pick that's still out to Orlando, if I remember correctly. And Mm -hmm. they have all of these young guys. In addition, they have these older players as well uh, in DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, who, presumably want to win. Vucevic is a free agent at the end of the year. They have to make an extension decision on Pat Williams coming up. I, I don't know. You know, I was talking about with Fred on the last podcast with Obi Toppin, and at some point you have to find out what a guy is before he's extension eligible. I still have no idea what Pat Williams is. And part of that's because of the injury last year, but part of it is also... He hasn't been as good as what I was hoping he would be. Yeah. And he just feels limited in what he can do. Like he's very limited to just trying to put his shoulder into somebody and shoot over the top or put his shoulder into somebody and try and get to the rim right now. He does. Uh, I think that this pick for me speaks as much to my lack of love for anybody else still kind of on the board yeah. and overall depression on kind of where this draft class has has yielded over two plus years than it does necessarily about Williams because I wasn't really high on like I didn't have a first round grade on Patrick Williams two plus years ago, which is bold on my part and wrong uh, probably in looking back at it. But I fell in love with some part of the upside just with all of the tools that he had and the ability of his shot to progress that I would be intrigued enough to take him in this range in comparison to everybody else. Okay. So I'm up here at 11. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I guess I will go Isaiah Stewart here, given that I was down to him and a Kong last time. I talked a decent amount about Isaiah Stewart when we talked about a Kong really, really good defensively as like a switch defender brings a level of toughness, aggression, physicality, yeah, I really like Isaiah. Um, I think he's like a borderline starting center in the NBA. Good. Yeah, I I, I would have him in this range as well. Uh, you know, I tend to be a little bit lower on bigs. Like the, the tough part about a redraft in phil- philosophy terms is, you know, we can talk a lot about where big men go in the 2023 NBA drafts and have conversations about guys like Derek Lively and right. say, you know, is there really value to getting him in the higher part of the the lottery? Should you really wait until the mid to late part of the first round just because his game is so dependent on others? He's not the most versatile positionally. There's a, a high level of depth available in the league right now at that spot. And that messes with me when going through a redraft here. 
because I think there are a lot of bigger bodies that can help out and are, are at least more proven as NBA players than maybe some of the other positions that we've seen. But there's still something that doesn't make me want to jump at them because how many of them can you really have on your roster? Isn't there still an element to these guys are young? I'd rather take a younger wing or somebody who's going to have that versatility than somebody who doesn't. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I think it's reasonable. Um, you're up at number 12, I think we are. We're at number 12, and I'm going to kind of break the rule I just said. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> you know, like that's that's kind of where we're at here. Uh, but I might be a little bit of a surprise in this regard. I'm going to go with Precious Achua. No, this uh, is the next. This is the guy that I had like very high next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's as much about the unique tools that he brings to that position in regards to other guys. If, if you're going to avoid drafting a big, that's one thing. But Precious Achua is much more than a big. He can play your smaller ball five because he plays with energy, flies around. He's a maniac, Sam. Like, he flies everywhere yeah. on the floor. Uh, and He's the and, best defensively of the three that we've talked about so far. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Stewart and Anyeka Kongwu. And it's partially due to activity and athleticism and length, but – in Toronto's scheme and the way that they've utilized him, I think it's been absolutely perfect that you can have yeah. much more perimeter pressure. You have guys who aren't afraid to take risks on the defensive end of the floor. Like You probably got to live with that nonsensical pull up in the mid range with 18 on the shot clock, like once every other game from Ottawa in order to get that type of energy and consistency out of him on defense. But there's so many tools that he has in his arsenal athletically as well as what we've already seen, inability to play like the pseudo four in some minutes for Toronto. So uh, I think that he stands out as just a different type of player than some of the other bigs. You and I talk a lot, Sam, about the difference between being novel and being good. I think Precious Achua yeah. has always been a little bit more of a novelty than some of the other bigs in this category. Save Poku, right? He's the most novel of them all. Uh, but I think that we've got a good enough resume under our belts to see that that Precious is good at basketball. I don't think this is a reach for him at all. Yeah, no, it's not. And the thing with Precious is that like he's just a bit small to play the center, but you have to play him at the center. It's actually kind of similar to Isaiah Stewart in that regard. I think that Isaiah is a better shooter. They're both limited off the bounce. They're both limited in terms of like decision making. I would say Precious is a slightly better switch. To, is actually a pretty considerably better switch defender yep. than Isaiah Stewart is. I think I like Isaiah a little bit more with his physicality around the basket as a rim protector. Um, and ultimately, I would just side with the shooter uh, sure. a little bit more than Precious. But, you know, they're very close. Like th- these two, I think you could flip a coin and go one or the other. Yeah. Um, I've let this go on too far now, though. Do it, Sam. Adam. Do it. It's time for us to talk about Poku. Okay. Uh, I'm taking Alexei Pokushevsky at 13. And I am so happy that I can actually do this and make a case for it as opposed to just like it being a bit, right? Because there was a good chance that when I took Poku at 13, you know, go after last season or whatever, if I would have done that, it would have just been a bit. It would have absolutely just been a bit. But Poku is seven foot tall. He's a high-level passer. He's a high-level, uh, I don't know about decision-maker, but the vision that you can see on the court is so abundantly clear. His flexibility of movement is unlike anything you see for a seven-footer, point blank, period. Uh, 
other than like, you know, Victor Wembenyama and guys like that. The problem is he was just so, so skinny to start his career and had no chance to absorb contact, had no chance to deal with anything. He's gotten stronger. His lower half, he can at least like manage now physicality. But you know what's happening here, Adam? Poku is averaging 10 points, five rebounds, two assists. He's shooting 47% from the field, 39% from three on three attempts per game. He's shooting 62% from the line. Whatever. What can you do, right? And he's averaging 1.6 blocks per game. I didn't think this would happen this early for Poku. He is still 20 years old. He's the youngest player in this class by, I think, like a reasonable margin. Like him and Pat Williams, I think, are like five months apart. Um, For him to be 20 years old and, frankly, be like a passable starting center, which he is now – in terms of his ability to play outside of the rim, to bring a man away from the rim, drive to the rim occasionally, he's simplified his game to a substantial extent this year, whereas like he was playing straight up the two-guard position almost as a seven-footer last year because he couldn't deal with any physicality whatsoever. He can at least like pseudo-manage playing center now, which is really, really important. Um and here's the other thing. Like if you go, if you remove the first six games of the year where it was kind of a slog for him early on in the year, uh, he, I don't know if you remember this, but we talked about his opening season game. I think yeah. it might've been with Cole Huff where like, he just like completely shit all over the court in the final five minutes. Um, and it was hysterical, but his last 14 games, he's averaging 11 points, six rebounds, one and a half assists, 51% from the field, 43% from three, shooting 73% from the line, blocking two shots per game. The turnovers are down to a manageable 1.4. He has been genuinely useful for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He is still 20 years old, and the flashes on tape are awesome. They are flat-out awesome. He's good. He's turned himself into a, a guy that belongs on the floor in situations outside of just Oklahoma City. And that yes. was something that I wasn't sure we could expect within the first four years of his NBA career. But he has gotten there. The defense has been more solid. The fact that the three-point shot is falling just raises his floor that much more and, and allows him to uh, you know, play off of others. I think he started to figure out where his shots come from and uh, isn't as gung-ho on just doing whatever he wants to try on that particular day. A uh, super fun, super fun player. And I think that in a redraft that uh, this class is going to leave me with some pretty tough options on the next pick. I think this is the absolute right time to take the swing on Poku. How much younger do you think Alexei Pokushevsky is than rookie Keegan Murray? Oh, boy. I would guess that he's probably a good 18 months younger. That's about right. He's about yeah. 17 months younger than Keegan Murray. He is like, I think like six months younger than Tari Eason. Like he's younger, I believe, than Christian Brown by like a fairly, like, you know, maybe five months or so. Uh, Ochai Baji, like you look at him. I mean, I think he's like two years younger than yeah. Ochai at this point. Um, even guys like Jaden Ivey, like Jaden Ivey is like two months younger than Poku and Jaden Ivey is like not an old rookie by any stretch of the imagination, right? Paulo Bancaro like is under a year younger than Poku. 
and Poku is in his third year right now. Um, I, I just kind of look at it and I, I'm willing to buy into it at the end of the day. Like I, I'm willing to buy into the youth. I'm willing to buy into the upside. The growth trajectory we've seen already is pretty real to where I'm willing to buy into this. Nothing wrong with that at all, Sam. Nothing wrong at all. Okay, you're up at number 14. Yeah, and I don't love being the guy that has to pick here at 14 because it's just kind of, you know, pick your poison in some regard. Um, I'm just going with a little bit of production, somebody who I think can stay in a rotation. Cole Anthony, uh, you know, he was drafted 15th overall. Like, I think he can be a good scoring guard as a backup in the NBA. Seven-game sample this year, uh, but averaged 15 four and four, like shoots the ball decently efficiently. He's small. He's got questions on the defensive end of the floor. I looked at other guards and guys that I considered taking here, but I saw either questionable shooting, a lack of size that was the the same type of obstacle that that Anthony would kind of run into. Uh, A lot of different ways that I looked here. I probably had eight or nine guys that I considered while you were giving your Poku spiel. Uh, And Anthony is kind of where I land on this. Yeah, this is the first one that was not in this next tier of players for me from you. Um, look, not to like, I think Cole is like going to be a great backup point guard, like an awesome, awesome backup point guard. Um, last year was the year where he got every opportunity to show that he can be a starter, and it, it was just too inefficient, right? Like that. That's it at the end of the day. Uh, I think Cole Anthony's going to play in the NBA for a decade plus. And it's not like a crazy pick by any stretch of the imagination. I would just rather take a swing on the upside of some of the other bigger players. Sure. I think that are still available. And you know what? I'm just going to do something stupid again. I took Poku at 13 now. I don't know if you've seen the flashes from Killian Hayes recently, man. I have. I have. But I'm, I'm going to take the bet on Killian Hayes. Okay. At 15. Sell me, Sam. Sell me on this one. This is one where, like, taking him over Emmanuel quickly, Trey Jones, some of the other guards that have actually proven something is probably a wild swing, right? This is purely based on I'm still betting on the upside of a 21 year old six foot five lead guard who I think can defend at a pretty real level, who has shown very substantial flashes recently as an offensive player. Do you know how recently I'm talking, Adam? I'm talking four games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talking four games, buddy. In the last four games, Killian Hayes has averaged 16 and a half points, eight assists, four rebounds, two steals on 53% from the field, 35% from three. He's getting to the rim a lot more. He's been a lot more effective once he gets into that 15 and in range, which is something when he got into the NBA, was a pure nightmare. Like he was abysmal in that range. When he first got there, his footwork has gotten better. His length has gotten better. I would rather just take the swing on someone at six foot five, who is good defensively, who I think has a chance to shoot at the very least based off of what we've seen from his free throw percentages, based off of the recent flashes we've seen from him as a scorer and as a shooter, he is shooting 32% from three this year. Overall, I'm well aware of that. Unfortunately, this is a bad choice based on what they've done so far. 
I'm well aware of that. Like even someone like KJ Martin has been much more productive than Killian Hayes. But Killian Hayes is damn near as tall as KJ Martin is. KJ is much stronger, much more physically aggressive and impactful because of his explosive athleticism. And he defends at a much higher level than Killian does on a wider swath of player types. But Killian can just do way more with the ball, like way, way more with the ball. Yeah. So I'm willing to bet that Killian Hayes, as he goes from being 19 when he entered the league to 21 now to 25 years old, based off of the way the game is slowing down for him right now, we see more substantial growth from him moving forward. I'm well aware this is a bad pick based off of what they've done right now. I'm well aware of it. And I was not a Killian Hayes guy pre-draft. I had him like outside of the top 10. Like I was not at all, you know, draft Twitter favorite Killian Hayes guy. Right. But what we've seen in the last month or so shows that the game is slowing down. And in these recent moments now where he's played a little bit more on the ball, there's been like real sizable, you can see the picture with him now. Yeah. He's been, he has been solid in that regard. And I think his defense, like there's been flashes of enough activity at his size that you can play him in different type of ways and styles and lineups. And that's, that's important to to have that just a lot of these smaller guards really don't. So, you know, when, if we're in that range where it seems like we are, where there's a lot of like six, two, six, three ish guards that are available being the one guy that takes the the six seven guard and just saying screw it, let's see if he turns into anything, it makes sense. Okay, you're up at I believe number sixteen. Yeah, sixteen here. Um, you know, I tend to be fairly risk averse as we get into the later parts of of these picks, um, but I'm going to go Emmanuel quickly for the New York Knicks. I think we've seen enough offensive production that he's going to stick around in the league, at least get another contract out of him because he's solid in that regard. Uh, You know, not shooting the ball incredibly efficiently this year, but he is a good shooter, something that he's had dated back to his high school days, as well as when he was at Kentucky. Uh, His defense has impressed me more than anything this year, Sam, but I think his activity on the defensive end of the floor, he plays with length and energy uh, for spot minutes off the bench, which that's the territory we're in right now, even at the, just outside of the lottery range. Like these are guys that, you know, you hope are going to be 12 to 18 minutes a night on your, on your team when you're good type of players. I I think that's fine for, for what quickly provides and and where we're at right now. Uh, And look, like there are a couple guys that are starting right now on like reasonable teams. You know what I mean? Like, like I I have real long-term concerns on Denny Avdia's shooting, which is why I, haven't taken him to this point, but like he started 20 games on a team that's near five, like right around the 500 mark. Right. Um, he's a really good defender. Emmanuel quickly, I think has just not gotten as much of a chance to like showcase what he's capable of this year. Um, we've seen it previously. Like I, you know, I was never a big quickly guy pre-draft either, but I almost would like to see him in a different situation. Yeah. I think than where we are now with the Knicks where behind Derrick Rose, he's behind Jalen Brunson. You know, they have all these guards that it seems like Tibbs favors over him. And he's shown enough at the NBA level to where I think it's, he is someone worth investing in. Um, Okay. So I'm up at 17 now. This is a tough one. 
This is like a genuinely difficult one. I think that there are a few different like wing-ish players that you could go with that, you know, are interesting in one respect or another. I think that I am going to go, man, it is. Yeah, it's, it's tough here. I think I'm going to go Josh Green. Oh. It's 17. The reason is that I think the growth he has showcased in terms of cutting, moving without the ball, playing with energetic aggression and athleticism has just been enough for me to buy him as a rotation player on a good team at some point. He's shooting 46% from three on two, three point attempts per game. He's very firmly in Dallas's rotation at this point, playing 22 minutes a night or 19 minutes, 20 minutes a night. Sorry. Can't read. Um, I I just kind of buy the defensive ability, the aggression, the positive uh, athleticism that he brings. Uh, he, he, He like brings a little bit of like chaos. It feels like when he's out there, in a helpful way. And given the flashes he's already shown as a shooter, given that he is, uh, I believe just 22. Now he just turned 22. I'm going to go Josh green. Like, I I don't think he's anything more than like a rotation player, but I I do think he is worth investing in at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, he was going to be the next guy on my board here. So, uh, thank you for that, Sam. Yeah. Anything I can do for you, buddy. (laughs) Well, I'm up again here at, what, I believe, 18. Yep. Uh, I'm going to take the upside flyer. Uh, not something I thought I would do. I thought I'd be a little bit more risk-averse in this range. I'm going to go Denny Avia uh, from, yeah. from Washington here. And it's, like you said, he's already proven that he can be a really good wing defender uh, in the NBA. The shot has regressed in a lot of different ways. I was really high on him, and I think many pre-draft were because they saw – an ability to be a solid shooter as well as somebody who's just smart when he puts the ball on the floor, not necessarily a high frequency creator, but who just makes good decisions with it. Um, The shooting being absent has really hurt in a lot of regards for Avia. But as I'm looking at a couple other guys who are, you know, wings in this range, like an Isaac Okoro, uh, you know, we had talked about Obi Toppin earlier, not really knowing what he brings to the table yet, because there's just been so many different, factors around his development uh, i feel at least solid knowing that avia is good at one particular skill and it's being a defender at what is a valuable position to be a good defender at so that's gonna be my pick here yeah i think that this is probably the right pick he is you know we've talked about positional size and defense a lot here denny is six foot nine and is a plus defender right now a genuine plus defender i just really don't buy the shot like that that's what it comes down to i i don't know how he scores at the nba level to be like to move into that next echelon as a player um whereas like with someone like Jaden mcdaniels you know the shot is fairly real already uh someone like poku he's shooting you know, 39% from three already from three, even someone like Pat Williams, like I would say Denny has been a little bit better than Pat Williams at this point of their careers, but you can see the growth potential with Pat's shot with some of the ability he has as a straight line driver, the physical frame with Denny. 
he's really smart, really instinctual, better passer than like all of the guys we just talked about. Yeah. It's just really hard to be an impactful offensive player if you don't have a route to being an effective scorer. And I don't know that Denny has that route at this point based off of what we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. Okay. I'm up at number 19. This is my last pick. I'm between two players here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go KJ Martin. I think and go a little bit off the board. Sure. And largely it's just because six foot six, super explosive athlete wing has showcased some potential to shoot it. Like if you look over the course of his career, he has it 35% from three, even if it's on limited volume, I think he's a little bit of an overrated defender. Like I, I think people like look at the way he flies around and like, makes it like, I don't think he's all that good on the ball. Um, like I think he gets like out leveraged on drives a little bit too often. Um, but yeah, like, look, he's young, he's 21 years old still. He doesn't turn 22 until January. Right. So like, there's a lot here when you mix explosive athleticism, weak side shot blocking, which is like a skill that I think he will continue to like morph and grow into given his instincts that he showed there uh, at IMG and at the high school level. But like there's enough there where I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic maybe is the way to put it based on what we've seen so far. Uh, It just in terms of like, maybe he can be like a seventh or eighth man on a decent team. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can buy that. I think Houston's just a really hard evaluation context because they're all so young and nobody looks good defensively that uh, I don't really know if, if defense is going to be Martin's kind of hang your hat skill in this league just because he, he looks better than a lot of the people he's sharing the floor with or at least has for the first couple of years of his career. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're up 20. Last one for you. I'm up 20. Last one for me. And I'm at least going to take a guy who is playing 30 minutes a game right now, Sam. Uh and that's Trey Jones for. The I'm really glad Denver. you took him. I'm yeah. very glad that you took him. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's been. Uh, I was a huge fan of Jones pre-draft and thought that he would turn into very much what his brother is, which is a cerebral, like mistake-free type of point guard that you can play for for legitimate minutes for periods of time. Uh, but the size and the lack of consistent, like, create his own shot has kind of been been a factor for me in saying, okay, I understand why Jones falls to the second round. I understand why it's going to be a smaller margin of error, maybe matchup dependent for when he's actually getting off of the bench for a really good team. Uh, but this year for San Antonio, he's playing a ton and he's been impactful. Uh, 12 and a half points, seven assists, only two turnovers a game, shooting 32% from three. He's always been a guy that makes the right decision I think at the point of attack, like if he can be matched up against a smaller guy, he's okay on the defensive side of the floor. Uh, but again, we're, we're at the point in this draft class where we're looking for guys that we think are going to be somewhere in that 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th man range. And Jones kind of has checked that box this year by playing the role that he has for San Antonio. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I really like Trey Jones. The shot is concerning. Uh, if he shoots it ever, I think he's like a low level starting point guard. I just don't know if he's ever going to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. And that's, that's where we were pre-draft. That's where we're at now. Yeah. Guys that we didn't take yeah. Obi Toppin was next for me um, on my board at 21. I just don't know what he is. This is the problem. Like I have a better vision of someone like Josh Green, even though Obi has had better flashes at this point than Josh, I think. I just can see what Josh is and how that translates to winning basketball. This isn't to say that Obi doesn't translate to winning basketball. I just don't know how he does. Like, he could. You could play him at the four and play him next to, like, a floor spacing five that's like a playmaker, maybe, and that could work. But I don't know, man. It's weird. Well, it's... I don't want to take guys in this redraft who haven't answered some key questions that I had on them two and a half years ago. And Obi Toppin was clearly one of them. What position does he necessarily play on the floor? Is he more of a four? Is he more of a five? And the way that the Knicks have kind of loaded up on these rim running, rolling fives and have Julius Randle on the floor as a guy that I think Toppin and Randle together just hemorrhage defensively. Like there's no, great answer to that question that we have already. So it was hard for yep. me to move top in, into that range. I, I think, you know, one other guy who still just hasn't answered a question for me would be Isaac Okoro of, you yeah. know, is he going to really be able to, I know he's a good defender and athlete and makes some good decisions. He attacks off the bounce and straight lines when he is able to get a little bit of an avenue to go, but he just can't put the ball in the basket. And is he really somebody that can be a part of a playoff caliber rotation when he's such a a rough play on that side of the floor. Yeah, I, I just haven't seen enough offensively for Makora. <laughs> like I, I was interested coming into this year. You know, he averaged nine points on forty eight percent from the field, thirty five percent from three. He wasn't impactful offensively last year, but there were flashes. Like you could see some things that were coming from him. He is completely regressed this year across the board. He is like unplayable offensively right now. Um, that's why, you know, he goes number five and he falls out of this range. We talked about Toppin. Like I, I, I here's a list of guys that like, I would strongly consider in the mix with Isaac Okoro. Um, obviously KJ Martin, 56th overall pick Najee Marshall, who I believe went undrafted, yeah. right? Or did he, was he a late second? I can't I remember. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't either. Um, Isaiah Joe, 46, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. Uh, that's like three wings that are, you know, you can find them. Kind of a dime a dozen wings in the NBA in some respect, right? So taking that guy at five, it's tough. And this was always the question. Like, if you believed in Isaac as a shooter, ev- everything would open up for him if he could shoot. Everything across the board. Because he can actually, like attack off of a closeout. He can pass a little bit. Like it's just, you do not have to guard him right now. Period. Like he is so bad as a shooter that it does not matter if you pay any attention to him off the ball. That sucks. Cause he's a good defender too. Like he's a really good defender, I think. Yep. But he is. And he's, he's not as tall. You know, I took Danny Avia a little bit later in this. Like he's taller I think that there's ways that he's a little bit smoother of a handler in a half court type of setting. Uh, it's there's just 
it's really tough for a guy like Okoro to continue to carve out a role in this league when particularly on a team like the Cavaliers where they have so many different playmakers, like you have to be able to, to stay on the floor by knocking down catch and shoot shots. And he just hasn't done that. Okay. Where would you have James Wiseman, who is the number two overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft? So I have three guys that were not drafted or in this redraft here that I had above Wiseman right now. Um, you know, Toppin was one of them. Uh, Jalen Smith was one of them just because I feel much more certain in what he is being more of a floor spacing front court guy. And then Isaiah Joe, those were the three guys that did not get taken that I had above Wiseman right here. I, I really struggle with this one, Sam, because it's still so early to write somebody like this off. Uh, but I think I'd also mentioned that there's a degree of risk aversion that goes into some of this redrafting thing for me of wanting to make sure that I at least have a guy with two years of two years plus of having seen everybody under my belt that I know is going to be part of a rotation. You know, that's why my last couple picks were Trey Jones, Denny Avia, Cole Anthony, Emmanuel quickly. Like I know these guys are at least going to be NBA caliber and the floor for Wiseman is just a little bit lower right now. Um, it, it just makes it really, really hard for me to trust in that above some of the other guys we've talked about. The potential is still much, much, much higher than at least half the guys we talked about today. I, I don't know if that's true anymore. I, I honestly don't because he is so far off the mark defensively at this yes. point. Yes. Look, I have him in the top 30. I have a you know first round grade on him, which is to say, like, if a team wanted to offer multiple second round picks for him or something, I would do that if I was Golden State. Like the deal that I mentioned a couple weeks ago was like I think Mason Plumley would substantially help the Golden State Warriors in their bench units, and. I think that James Wiseman is like a good flyer for the Charlotte Hornets to take as they rebuild. You know, you have Lamella Ball who will get him easy buckets as a lob catching center, but they just drafted Mark Williams, obviously. I think that they can afford to take another flyer because they're going to lose Plumlee in the offseason in all likelihood anyway because he's a free agent. So, like, th- that kind of deal to me feels like a win across the board. Plumlee's deal expires, so they get Wiseman's $11 million off the book for next season, $12 million, whatever it is. So you get all that tax money off the books, and you basically are clean then in terms of the Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins extensions, and you can keep Draymond Green. So, like, it just makes everything more status quo. Yep. I think that that's more the range of deal that we're talking about, though, in terms of James Wiseman value. Like, Mason Plumlee, someone like that. Like that's, that's what it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, the defense has been rough. It's, it's been really, really rough. Uh, and there's no shine away from that. I think that's why more of his minutes are going to come for Santa Cruz than golden state right now. Uh, but I also, I see the pieces that he can be able to provide a team because he is so fluid and long and there is some shooting touch in there to be explored. So I'm just, yeah. I want to hang on for Wiseman's sake as long as we can here. I don't know if I'm ready to completely jump ship, but as we saw tonight, like I didn't take him in my top 20. So that at least says something. 
Yeah. Um, question here from NBA rigged in the comments that I think is interesting on another lottery pick that was not taken in Jalen Smith. You alluded to him a second ago. Um, basically, why was he not taken in the top 20? Uh, he's averaging 11 and a half points and seven rebounds. I just don't think he's all that impactful offensively at all. And I think that there are real like defensive concerns in terms of his switchability, flexibility, uh, He's been good as like a rim runner occasionally and like occasionally a like transition guy for Indiana. He fits what they do because of how good he is at getting up and down the court. But I think that once the game slows down into a half court game, uh, it becomes a little bit more challenging for him uh, in a way that it doesn't necessarily become as challenging for some of the other guys here. But like, look, shout out Jalen Smith, like in terms of production, like he is transformed his career in some respect to where look i didn't have a first round grade on jalen smith this is right around what i thought he would be essentially like what he has turned into in terms of like 11.7 rebounds a game with questionable defense and not really a shooter like this this is kind of what my concerns were coming in and i bought into the upside and this is this to bring it full circle is part of the reason why I prefaced this by talking about how weird the evaluation period was of the lead up to the 2020 NBA draft. Because going back and watching Jalen Smith a hell of a lot more, I saw, man, you know, this guy, he can check so many boxes because he might be switchable. He might be a good three-point shooter. But at the end of the day, like, he hasn't drilled shots at a consistent enough level as a professional. He's very, very slender, and that limits some of his defensive potential without being a great switching four-man. And I don't think he's got great feel for the game. So those are a couple of reasons why I'd keep him kind of outside of that top 20 while saying, like, at least there's a known commodity of, like, more of a floor spacer has already proven he can play some minutes in the NBA as opposed to a guy like Wiseman. But why he will stick in the NBA is because of the aggression, the willingness to play hard. He's anyone you ask about Jalen Smith will tell you, and look, you're in that area. Like I'm sure you know it even better than I do. Like they will tell you elite of the elite level kid, elite character, super smart kid, like just a really, you know, professional human being basically uh that as he gets to like 25 will continue to even mature and grow like you can be as professional as you want at 20 years old you're going to be even more mature and professional at 25 right because we grow and mature as human beings so he was already coming from a high baseline there in terms of just being like a super high character guy and then is it was a struggle for him early on maybe it got better uh and he moved to a different situation where winning wasn't an immediate like thing that needed to happen. Yeah. And it has allowed him to get good at the things that he is good at, like even better at the things that we knew he was good at, but also develop the things. I guess he hasn't developed the things that we were worried about. Well, Maybe is the way to put it. I, I think, Sam, there's also a certain level of comfort that you have as a young guy to bring this even more full circle and being told, Hey, just go out there and play hard. And Tyrese Halliburton is going to take care of the rest. Like he'll put you in positions to succeed. He'll find ways to maximize what you do. Let you play up tempo. Like there's something really comforting in a developmental context 
about if you're a great kid and you can just go out there and play hard and know that you'll kind of fall into production, that's that's a good way to maximize who you are when you're a younger guy. Yeah, 100%. Okay, Adam, we talked about food. We talked about the redraft. I don't have anything else to really talk about at this point. I have um, I have one quick question for you on this this draft class here. One guy who I'm really curious to see where your feel is for him or how close he became to being a, a draftable guy, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. No, Adam, no, you're not allowed to ask. <laughs> like, <laughs> so where are you at with RJ Hampton? Um there have been some interesting flashes recently. I would have had him nowhere near this uh, after the first like eight games of the year. He was probably in the top 35, something like that for me Um, was in, in that ballpark. Uh, I'll be honest. Like I think I would have Isaiah Joe ahead of him Mm -hmm. at this point, like for reference and Isaiah Joe hasn't even like completely carved out a role. Uh, for Oklahoma City, but in the moments where he's been out there, he's been like awesome. super. Yeah. He's just been very valuable from a floor spacing perspective, and like helping a guy like Jalen Williams, for instance, like develop at a pretty real level. Um, I would have Najee Marshall, I think, ahead of him because Najee is just a better defender and like more athletic. I, I yeah, yeah. RJ's tough. Where, where did yeah. you fall on him? Uh, the shooting this year has gotten better, which is nice. Yeah. So I had Obi, um, Okoro, Jalen Smith, Wiseman, Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, and then Hampton on my board. Yeah, that I had Paul Reed of, ahead of him yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. that was kind of the, the next group of guys. I just think Hampton is primed to be one of those second draft type of players. And when he finds a different home and situation outside of being – the continual third or fourth cog in Orlando, maybe plays with the ball a little bit more. Like he's got to prove that he can be good enough to do that on an NBA floor. And that's going to be the challenge for him. But I I just, I don't think he's been dealt a hand that allows him to play the best style of game for him thus far in his career. I'd be willing to give him a flyer somewhere else and just see what he turns into. That's, that's that's the reason I asked. Yeah. I'd be willing to do that. The thing that worries me is like, so this is basically his second situation. It was, it was going okay in Denver for what it's worth. Like they thought that he was yeah. a valuable player um, that first year before they traded him for Aaron Gordon. But I guess what worries me is he's had every opportunity to take minutes and run with them in Orlando. and just hasn't been able to do it yet. Like Orlando probably has had the worst backcourt in the league yeah. for a couple of years, maybe up until this year. Um, and they still might have the worst backcourt in the league this year. And that's not like a, you know, I, I guess that's a little bit rude, but like, it's not like Jalen Suggs is setting the world on fire as much as you and I are like believers in Jalen Suggs. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, any of their backup point guards have been awesome. And he's st- like, he just hasn't been able to like really take those minutes and run with them like that. That to me, like says he's gotten, like he's gotten real like Onyeka Okongwu has not gotten great opportunity at this point like RJ has had a chance to take it and run with it and just hasn't been able to do it you know what I mean 
Yeah, he's gotten minutes. I just don't know if he's gotten the right type of role and usage. Like every every time I yeah. see him with the ball in his hands more, I see a more confident and competent version of him as opposed to like trying to play your turn, my turn with whoever his backcourt mate is. I just think that that's, that's more of a struggle for him. If he's a bigger 6'5 guard, and, and this is this is a deep recall, but when he was with the New Zealand Breakers and playing in a preseason game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, when they came over and, and kind of scrimmaged those guys, he essentially operated as a point guard at the start of the year in that regard. Role completely changed with the breakers, never really got back to reclaiming those types of, of priority reps for any team that he's been on. I don't know. That's just always been a, a point of intrigue for me when it comes to Hampton's game. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the only other guy that's like super worth diving into, right? Like, yeah. I think that then the highest guy that we haven't talked about is Kyra Lewis, and Kyra's just been hurt and is yeah. very skinny. Like, you, you've seen some flashes in the G League recently, but, you know, he just hasn't been able to play and hasn't been able to get minutes. And yeah. I, I have some real concerns there. Um, Aaron Naismith some flashes here and there, but hasn't been the elite shooter that we hoped he would be coming out of Vanderbilt. Um, then I think next is Zeke Naji. Uh, mm-hmm. Zeke has shown some flashes in Denver, but again, a guy that like, hasn't really been able to carve out like a tried and true role consistently uh, for the nuggets at this point. Bomaro just hasn't been very like good. In the minutes he's played, showed some flashes in the G League last year, but not enough. Oh, I know where we fucked this up. This is this was dumb on our part. We we fucked up not taking Peyton Pritchard. See, that, and and I I will push back on that a little bit because I see that he has been more steady and valuable than a lot of the guys that we talked about here in the redraft. Yeah. But he is he's going to be a tough guy, and we're already seeing it with the Celtics, who are a championship caliber team. He's just a tough guy to keep on the floor in a lot of minutes consistently in a playoff series. Yeah. He just is. Yeah. You know what? Like looking back, like I wouldn't have oh. taken him. Yeah. I have him at like 24. So yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I'd take Jones we, over we him. Yeah. I'd take, I'd take quickly over him. Like part of the reason he got off to a better start earlier in his career and has developed that reputation is because he was a four year college player and he came in a hell of a lot older than some of the guys yeah. that we've talked about. He's also been afforded the opportunity to be more of a floor spacing guy where his role is very simple in Boston. Come in, shoot the ball, and defend as feisty as you can. That's it. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm not I'm not beating myself up for Pritchard falling outside of the top twenty for us. Nick Richards was a guy I did like very strongly consider near the end there. Um he, he's been really quite useful for the Hornets. I just think he's a backup center at the end of the day. Um, But I I think he will play in the NBA for a while uh, based off of what we've seen so far. It's just going to be a limited role. Yeah. And then I like the Najee Marshall call out that you had to just a skilled toolsy type of player. Yeah. Like we didn't talk a ton about the undrafted guys. And again, like this is not a great, like undrafted class either. Like just, Looking through, like Mason Jones has been incredibly productive in the G League. I guess Anthony Lamb, like, sort of has a role in Golden State. Matt Ryan had the breakout to start the year. There's just not a lot of dudes. <laughs> you know, L- Lamar Stevens probably deserves a shout out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's about it. 
Yeah. Um, but Lamar is not a guy that like you can really, here's a question. Would you have Lamar Stevens ahead of Isaac Okoro or behind Isaac Okoro? Behind Okoro. Yeah. I'm behind Okoro. I think they're in the same ballpark though, for what it's worth, which kind of says a decent amount about where Okoro is at this point. Yeah. It's a shame. Okay. Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, I am over on Twitter at the box and one underscore. My name, Adam Spinella. You can find me on YouTube for my channel there. And then my Substack's got a lot of different writing stuff coming out. Uh, the box and one dot substack.com or the thick of the college season right now. So a lot of college and scouting focus over there, but trying to get some more think pieces as well as we talked about this last week, Sam, uh, got a really cool profile coming up over the next week or two looking at the 25 best players i've scouted over my six years doing this really excited for that one on top of that in my inbox is a thing on coach spins breaking down jabari smith jalen williams and aj griffin yes sir so you should go subscribe to his Substack and go read all about those guys go to the athletic.com slash game theory go subscribe to the game theory podcast please by all stretches of the imagination. Go subscribe to The Athletic uh, via that link. You can just click the follow thing on iTunes. It'd be super valuable. Subscribe via Spotify. Whatever you got, whatever you can click to subscribe to the podcast, please do it. You'll get new episodes as they come out. Also, go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini. That is the best place to go and get episodes because we... Go live on YouTube as we're recording every single time. So please, by all means, go subscribe to that YouTube channel. It really helps the show. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.